we're back. Another episode of Talking Maiden. The podcast of the beast. Of the beast. The beast. Of the beast. How's Nesbitt? Good. Excellent. Yeah. Bruins are still in the playoffs. You're all tanned up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You look like a picture of happiness over there. And you're just back from Cuba. So. Yeah. So I'm relatively happy. <laughs> Communism is great. So today, we're starting the early years thing that we talked That's about. That's right. We so this, this is going to be the history of Iron Maiden. Yeah. Leading up to... So this is before Brave New World. <laughs> all this the way back. Leading up to the first album. Right back to... So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So we're going to go... This How far back in time? Like back, right back. I'm going to start where Steve Harris gets, Steve was conceived, gets his first base. Yeah, conceived underneath the stands of the West Ham Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, right back to his first base. Yeah, and cool. then I'm going to lead up, and we're going to end right before the first album is yeah. recorded. Okay. And that'll be a setup for us to do the first Iron Maiden album, which is the next album we're going to do. Yeah, and we might take a break in between yeah. just to give people time to get some feedback in. Yeah. Um, awesome. So I'm looking forward to this. So you're going to more or less take a chronological view. Yep. And uh, I'm just going to keep asking you questions. Right. So I've, I've been, zero <laughs> notes. I haven't, I haven't been prepping and trying to come in and go, oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Uh, I've been you know. researching this for like, since like a year ago when yeah. we started. We tried to do this a year ago. Yeah. But uh, I've been researching this for the last year. That's <laughs> true. Digging through stuff. And we'll, we'll talk about some people who uh, weren't just in the Iron Maiden lineup. Yep. Um, people who have reared their heads now and then. You've seen them on some. I think the early years documentary. We. Uh, yep, that was one yeah, of the sources. One I of the used. sources you yeah. use for this. Awesome. So we're going to kick it off with a beer, eh? Yeah, Let's so this is this. one of the beers. It's from North Carolina. I brought it back from when I was on my trip to Florida. So yeah. you can't get this beer here normally. Uh, it's Napoleon Complex Hoppy Pale Ale by Wicked Weed Brewing. Yeah. So basically, we cover craft beers, but really only hoppy ones. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? Yeah. It's like well, every we do now some and then. stouts every now and then and yeah. stuff. Every now and then we'll find a stout with hops in it. Yeah. Deadly. All right. Hit it. Do not spend your time worrying about those wasted beers. Now. Yeah, I did a lot of work to dig through all this. So I have some pretty obscure facts in here. Mm, so obscure facts. Okay, all the Nesbit files that <laughs> yeah. email us are going to love this one. Well, we get these emails and people are like, we love the deep dives. We love the deep dives. So I'm going to test you now and see how oh, yeah. how much you actually do like the deep dives. Mm. Oh, man. Uh, this is excellent. That's a really good. Yeah, it's a little warm, though, isn't it? Yeah, I put it in the fridge for like two hours and then I brought it over here. Mm. That's nice, though. Really happy. That, nothing really stands out, though. Yeah, I like that, though. Yeah. It's bitter. I'm kind of off the the West Coast IPA style. Five point two percent. Yeah. My God, that's working beer. <laughs> working beer. <laughs> it's working beer. Those at your desk. That's that's my new thing now because driving beer is not PC. I mean, it's nothing crazy stands out here. It's not actually an IPA. It's a ale. It's an ale. Yeah. Oh wow! Now I'm shocked. A hoppy pale ale. So it's, it tastes like yeah, a pale ale. It does, but that's, it's that a little explains more why it's them. not that. Uh, it's not that super hoppy. Like I'm, I'm like, oh, See, it's not that great about I always it say I'm... this. You always say it's not hoppy. And by hoppy, you mean a specific, specific type, type of hops. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It's really... extremely hoppy because it's super bitter. That's true. But, uh, anyway, this is good. This is more the beer I'm into now. I'm kind of off those like pineapple-y tasting. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not drinking snops anymore. <laughs> okay. Let's get into the Iron Maiden. Let's get into it. Okay. So I went through every single book I have. Yeah. Um, I have a, actually made a list of like my sources for stuff because normally I kind of, you know, I read it all and then I just come in here and kind of wing it. 
Yeah. But I actually wrote down my sources, so I'm, I'm going to go through this. Wait, now, is this is this our first episode with a bibliography? <laughs> Finally. This is going to take us to new heights. So here's oh, the, books, the books I read. Mm. I'll go through this as quick as I can. Hey, look, you... Uh, you give me a Leafs minute, you get a bibliography minute. Okay. <laughs> That's what you're getting. I'm just kidding. So, no, no, no. Reference about Killers, yeah. The Origins of Iron Maiden by Neil Daniels, which is an awesome book for, like, if anyone wants to find out more about the early years of Maiden. Yeah. That's a good source. And, of course, Loopy World by Steve Newhouse. Yeah. We brought that book up a bunch of times on this podcast. And yeah. I think that should be, like... It's in the top three of Maiden books that you should get. So that if you're was really was into... selling at the Carrot and Horses. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So I'd recommend, yeah, Loopy World. And also I would recommend Run to the Hills, the Iron Maiden authorized biography uh, by Mick Wall. So I have like the first edition, the second edition, and the third edition of that because that's such a good book. That's like vital for Maiden history. That one and Loopy World are my two favorites anyway. Um, another book, Iron Maiden 80 to 81 by Greg Prado. Iron Maiden Running Free by Gary Bushel. Uh, Iron Maiden Ultimate Unauthorized History of the Beast by Neil Daniels. Iron Maiden 30 Years of the Beast by Paul Stenning. The Beast by Paul Diano. Infinite Dreams by Dave Bowler and Brian Dre. Iron Maiden Heavy Metal History by Chris Welch. Iron Maiden and Praying Mantis The Early Days by Rob Angelo Sawyer. Iron Maiden Two Minutes to Midnight and Iron Maiden Album by Album. Both those are by Martin Popoff. Yeah, the Martin Popoff book. We yeah. talked about that before. And recent one came out. The Iron Maiden Vault by Chris Welch. The Bridge House Diaries website, which is a website that lists gigs and notes from the Bridge House. That's a venue they used to play at. Um, Sound of the Beast and Louder Than Hell, the Definitive Oral History of Metal. Those are two more books. Um, Day in Music's Guide to Iron Maiden by Joe Schumann. The Carton Horses website. Back Issues of the Fan Club magazine. Um... The Legacy Project website, which is a website which a bunch of former Maiden members kind of put together. Yeah. Um, the Iron Maiden Master List website, which is a website that's not online anymore, but it has like a listing of every date and location of every known Maiden concert. So that's not online. Is that the one you downloaded and saved? Yeah, I have that one downloaded and backed up. Oh, you are. I reference that one all the time. Super geek. And, and uh, no one else has that. I'm sure people, someone does. I don't even oh, yeah. All somewhere. the other people who saved <laughs> saved the internet. I, I went on to Google and saved all of Google. I'm Nesbitt, me. <laughs> and also hours and hours and hours of Googling forums and magazine archives, reading interviews, tracking down old, you know, articles online. Yeah. And like I know people who don't looking for a reference from a reference to a reference and finding yeah. like so I've been like at this for a year. Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Building this uh I don't know, this Nesbitt history of our meeting. Yeah. Idea. Yeah. Should we do a little book segment every now and then yeah i was thinking about doing that like yeah. pulling one of these books um and you know a little <laughs> mini review this is the day the podcast died everyone go to uh talkingmaiden.com slash books yeah. <laughs> used to I be actually, about the craft beer one of the newer books that i have yeah. i have i wanted to do a review on that last episode of two episodes ago the talking maiden we just yes. did like one of those viewer mail and iron maiden news kind of catch up episodes mm. but we ran so long that i didn't get into half the stuff i wanted to get into but one of the things is a book that i wanted to review but we can do that on a future episode okay those last two episodes yeah talking iron maiden we just did a uh, like a miscellaneous subjects yeah that was yeah i listened to There's it actually maiden on the news beast, the beach, and, yeah. oh yeah when you're in cuba yeah i listened to a bunch to catch okay. up just to 
Sometimes you can it all runs together when you're recording, right? Yeah, and a lot of times I don't go back and re-listen to them, so I always forget what they're <laughs> but, like. No, I caught myself like two or three times. I was the douchebag listening to his own podcast going, oh, this is great. You know? <laughs> oh, that's, that's so hilarious. Another time I was like, oh, why did I say that? And I was like, oh, Nesbitt, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> you know? I feel like we kind of got way off topic on that one. But well, that's, that's good. We had a few extra beers in that one. I think yeah. that's why we kind of... What was the one we went I always way feel off? like I'm trying to yeah. really drive the conversation back into like Iron Maiden all the time. Yeah. And the next doing... thing I know it's like, oh we haven't been talking about Iron Maiden for like five minutes. Yeah, and I'm doing everything I can to get it off <laughs> half the time. Yeah, it's it's funny. And the video games episode, we haven't gotten a lot of feedback on that one. No. But uh a few people said a few things about it. Mm. That one it's very maiden centric. Yeah. But I kind of feel like it it's kind of getting away from the Iron Maiden music. And we yeah. just kind of talked about something that it is Iron Maiden. But it's like doing an episode, if we did an episode of a Trooper Beer or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now we're kind of getting back into Maiden, Hardcore Maiden, and the music. Yeah, that was a bit of a blur now. Yeah. Because I haven't listened back to it. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was a good episode. Yeah, people seem to like the uh, Paul Diano episode a lot. Oh yeah, we drank a lot in that one. (laughs) But you know what? Uh, And this is uh, for relevant now. So I am sort of bringing it back, but still enjoying my tangent. Yeah. I'm going to have some hot takes with respect to Paul on the two early albums. You know, remember when I, I told you, like, the problem with deep dives is it changes your opinion of someone, right? You deep dive and they're a super weirdo. Like, you know, they're into something perverted or heaven yeah, forbid, yeah. whatever. Like, when I listen to Paul now, he doesn't, he's, he sounds different now. You oh, know, because he heard Literally, his it does. Because, A, I heard the horrible stuff, but I also know what he went through. And I don't know, it's, well, I'll, we'll get into it in the episode. Yeah, we'll do that in a But it changed, stuff. it changes my listening now, too. Like, I, <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's, anyway. Okay, so we're going to start with, start in 1971. So 1971, Steve Harris, he's 16, buys his first Fender Precision bass. Cost him 40 pounds. So I read a bunch of places that he started playing a Fender Precision bass. So this is where I'm going to start getting into like yeah. the deep dive details that people always talk yeah. about. Return on the bass, 4 billion percent. <laughs> Return on investment. But that's the same model that he plays today. Mm-hmm. And... I was like, that's kind of weird that like a 16-year-old guy for, you know, 40 pounds would buy one of those. A few places I read, they referenced that it was a Fender Precision bass. But then I read an interview with Steve, and he said it was a Fender copy. And I dug deeper on a bunch of bass playing forums where they're discussing Steve Harris. And I think it was a Shaftsbury Telecaster bass, which is like an Italian bass, you know, cheaper bass. Um, And he had no lessons, taught himself by listening to records. I think that's kind of why he has such a unique style. So people yeah. always talk about like the gallop that he does, which is like yeah. dunk 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 dunk. He only plays with two fingers, his ring and his index finger. He never like never uses the finger, um, and he really like attacks the strings really heavy, right? Mm. And he floats. He doesn't anchor his thumb anywhere. Like a lot of bass players, they anchor their thumb on the bass. Yeah, and he's just like floating, and he does a lot of like strumming with like. It looks like he's holding a pick, but there's no pick, so he like hits chords on the bass. But he has this really unique okay. style. Yeah, I'm not a, a bass pro at yeah. all, but I know that there's I know people that play like they have uh, five string, six string basses, and they play like full hand, and but that's rare. Is that correct? I don't know. A friend of mine was that. like an amazing bass guitarist, yeah. and he like played all. all you know, he had like this bass. He had two extra strings, yeah. and he, he played with his full hand. And he told me at the time he's like a musician. He studied music at university. Um, told me it was like unique. So I don't well, know. Maybe maybe, maybe he's. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I know he's playing with uh, three fingers more than Steve Harris. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and so, not, not quite as successful. <laughs> yeah. 
So he starts messing around, like, in his house with his friend who plays guitar. And they got this other guy that played drums. And, you know, that was their first kind of just jamming in his bedroom, basically. And as soon as they started to improve, they realized that the drummer wasn't very good. And they, uh, I read an interview where he says that he, in quotes, sacked him. Oh, my God. So it's a funny story, but it kind of shows, like, 16-year-old Steve Harris... And, like, he won't tolerate anyone holding the band back. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's already like, yeah, you're holding us back. You're yeah, he's like, Mom, we gotta talk. Yeah. <laughs> According to two sources I read, he writes Burning Ambition at this point, before getting into any serious band. Wow. So, you read a lot of places, they say that he was in Gypsy's Kiss when he wrote that. Or even yeah. some people say he was in uh, Smiler when he wrote that song. He wrote that song before he was in either of those bands. Okay. So when he... That's like the first thing. So that's the first song Steve Harris ever wrote. Yeah. That ended up as a B-side on the Running Free single. That's right. So I'll, I know a lot of people have heard this, but some people might not have. So this is... Maiden kind of re-recorded this song later as a B-side, but this is Burning Ambition. This is the first song that Steve Harris wrote. interesting very up uh very uplifting yeah it's the first maiden song ever written it started years before maiden was even formed a lot of people kind of agree that like it kind of sounds different totally different from all the other maiden songs yeah it's kind of like i don't know how would you describe it i don't know like more of paul solo stuff <laughs> yeah like you know? upbeat kind of yeah i think this is a big wishbone ash influence so steve harris if you read any inter- interviews with him yeah. He says that back then, when he was at this stage, like Wishbone Ash was like his favorite band. So how old is he here? 16. 16, yeah. yeah. So he's always talking about, if you read any of the interviews about, about his influences and stuff, they yeah. always say Wishbone Ash. Ash. So yeah. I know one Wishbone Ash album. It's called Argus. I think it's their third album. I got a cassette at home. And I think the Burning Ambition kind of really sounds like, it's like, this is almost like a, a little bit heavier version of Wishbone Ash. Which is awesome, by the way, in case anyone hasn't checked them out. It sounds like it's like Leonard Skinner doing prog rock meets, I don't know what, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I have a clip of that here somewhere. Hold on, just give me a second. I, wasn't, I was going to save this for another later on, but this is a clip of a Wishbone Ash. And you can see it kind of has that same like uplifting sound. So when I hear Burning Ambition, yeah. it, everyone always says it stands out from Maiden's songs. It doesn't sound like anything else. And it's because I think it was really heavily influenced by this band. That's just my theory. Yeah. And also, it was way before he was in Maiden. So he hadn't really 
developed a style yet, I don't think. Yeah, it's hard to know what 16-year-olds were listening to in 1979. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I'm just hearing him mention this band over and over again. Yeah. And then when you listen to that album, you listen to that album too, like track two on that album, the bass playing. Like when you hear it, you're like, okay, I can totally see how Steve Harris just straight went straight to this. Like the bass playing on that is, you know, totally... Yeah, that makes sense, especially if you're learning from it, right? Yeah. Uh, another little fact... This album, this Wishbone Ash album, is produced by Martin Birch. <gasps> so that's just a little... Uh, wow. would later on, go on to produce Killers and all those later albums. <laughs> I like my reactions. Yeah. No, that's cool. I didn't know Martin Birch. Well, he goes way back, so makes sense. So 1972-73, uh, Steve Harris, he, goes to, he has a high school friend named Dave Smith, and they start a band. Sounds familiar. So this is a scan of a postcard that Steve Harris sent to the drummer Paul Sears uh, back in 19... It's either 72 or 73. And it's funny. You should read... All right. He's trying to think of a name for his band. Dear Paul, having a good time. Plenty of entertainment. Weather is generally good, although it's a bit windy. Hope you get the drum kit you're after. We'll be on the road within two to three months, eh? Mm, very Canadian. I still think Spare Rib is an ace name for the band. Probably see you and Tim this weekend, if not on Monday. See you soon, Steve. When, what year is this? Uh, 72 or 73. Oh, wow. So he wanted to name the band Spare Rib. You're listening to Talking Spare Rib, the podcast of the meat. <laughs> spare Rib. But they didn't go with Spare Rib. They named it Influence. Yeah. And Influence... They were influenced for a very short time, and they changed their name to Gypsy's Kiss. So this is the first band that most people kind of know yeah. about when they're thinking of like Steve Harris's history. And so the name Gypsy's Kiss. Uh, how much do you know about like Cockney rhyming slang? I know a bit about it. Like I know that the Cockney rhyming thing is is you know they what is it apples and pears stairs. Or I always say like I'm going for a hit and miss. Like, yeah, piss. Right. Miss, well, piss. Gypsy's Kiss means the same thing. Oh, hit so they'd be like, I'm going for a gypsy's kiss. A piss. And they're going to take a piss. Yeah, we used to say in Manchester, going for a hit and miss. Okay. So yeah. it's the same. It's Gypsy's kiss is cockney rhyming slang for yeah. taking a piss. The apples. My favorite one is you're having a giraffe. A giraffe? But that's like more having a, laugh. having a laugh. Having yeah. a giraffe. And then the other one is uh, I'm going for a ruby. What's that mean? Ruby Murray curry. Okay. Going for a curry. That's the thing that gets confusing. Yeah. Is when they drop the part that rhymes and they you go yeah, the other you're part. Yeah, going for Ruby, Ruby yeah. Murray Curry. Or I'm going up the apples. Yeah, like yeah going up the apples, apples and pear stairs. <laughs> yeah, it's completely confusing to me because yeah, I'm but not I mean, used to it. And I love it because like I watched that movie Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I think what yeah. or Snatch, and like they use it, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, that's about. such a great like. Yeah, yeah, that's Guy Ritchie's only good stuff, really, isn't it? <laughs> so Gypsy's Kiss, but they're they're called Influence first. You read a lot of places that influence changed to Gypsy's Kiss before their first gig. Yeah. That's not true. I read an interview with Paul Sears, the drummer. He says they played their first show as influence. Oh, okay. And in Mick Wall's book, he has a quote from Steve Harris where he says they played influence. Yeah. Played as influence at the first gig. Either way, influence and Gypsy's Kiss, the same band, but they yeah. just changed their name. And the first show they played was a talent show. And they played it as influence, and then immediately afterwards changed to Gypsy's Kiss. The talent show is kind of important in like maiden history. So Gypsy's Kiss is playing at this talent show, organized by Dave Beasley. So Dave Beasley, also known as Dave Lights, um, this is the first 
time that Steve Harris meets Dave Beasley. And Dave lights would go on and do Maiden's light show for like years and years. And he's actually the creator of Eddie. Yeah. So he's the one that came up with the mask. They used to have a sign with the Maiden logo on it and lights around it and a little yeah. mask. And there was something with blood came out of it. spit blood. Yeah, and then they kind of right. had a bigger mask that used yeah. to like have light up eyes. And there's one that you see sometimes videos of with like red smoke coming out of the mouth. That's right. So yeah. he kind of was behind all that. And, you know. So this was a talent show, just like some random pub kind of weekend thing or. So, okay. So it was yeah. at St. Nicholas Hall in Poplar, London. Not July 1974. I got a quote actually from uh, Dave Lights. He says, I've been putting on youth club nights since I was 15. This particular night, it must have been about 1973, I decided I was going to do a talent contest, and Steve and his band entered. So it was actually July 1974. So it's this church hall, it's a talent show. Influence slash Gypsy's Kiss play. It's Steve Harris on bass, Bob Vershoil as the singer. Paul Sears on drums, Dave Smith on guitar, and Roy Middleton on other guitar. So wow. that's kind of an important that they meet Dave Lights there because like yeah. there might not be an Eddie if <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, it is neat. And this is five years before Iron Maiden is recorded. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So uh, they come in second. Influence comes in second. Influence in the talent show. So I, the winners were okay: two girls and two guys in an ABBA tribute. That's what I read in one place. Another source I read said it was a band named Flame, and I also read it was an ABBA-type band with two guys and two girls, but not nothing to do with ABBA, just like... But I think it was... Anyway, they came in second in this talent show. Will we ever know? <laughs> you know, I thought, I'm going to use this, because next time, you know, what are you doing this summer? I'm going to see Influence. Oh, I, I actually, you know, that's what everyone calls them now. Yeah. Really spare rib. <laughs> oh, you, yeah, yeah, be like, yeah. what? Yeah. Gypsy's Kiss? Yeah. Oh, you, oh, know you might know them as Iron, Iron Maiden, Maiden right. you know? Oh, <laughs> God. You know, that's so basic. So they play... <laughs> <laughs> I have the set list from this talent show. So this talent show they played, they played a song named Influence, which is kind of funny because their band is called Influence. They have a song called Influence, kind of like how Iron Maiden has a song called Iron Maiden. The second song was called What Went Wrong. And this is the one that Steve Harris talks about in the early years, part one documentary. It had a bass intro, which he totally messed up. But since nobody had ever heard the song before, I don't think anyone noticed that he messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> which is funny and the song's name is what went wrong so that's hilarious and then the third song they played was called heat crazed vol heat crazed vol <laughs> heat crazed vol i also read that they played three original songs and one cover and steve somewhere i read said he, they played four songs so there might have been a cover in there too yeah but uh influence what went wrong heat crazed vol yeah still trying to track down the audio for this actually <laughs> no <laughs> if you're curious about what these gypsies kiss songs sound like so remember i said dave smith was one of the guys in gypsy's kiss right from the beginning um he has a soundcloud page and his username is david smith 723 yeah and he re-recorded some of these old songs so i actually have clips of some of these gypsy kiss songs but this these are the songs redone by him someone who was in gypsy's kiss so this is actually if you want to hear what heat crazed vol sounded like Here's a clip.
So in case you're wondering what Gypsy's Kiss Heat Crazed Vol sound like, that's what it sounds like. And the first song they played was called Influence, and this is a clip of that song. close my eyes and I was at the Legacy of the Beast tour I could just <laughs> feel it I could feel it um, that's interesting that, yeah. that he put that up and recorded it yeah. after it's kind of cool mm-hmm. to hear because I always kind of wondered about Gypsy's Kiss what they sounded like yeah I love it that like the thought process too what year is this 1975 yeah so you're still in 1974 at yeah. this point so it's 1974 and they're sitting around they're like oh, Led Zeppelin the Beatles have sung about everything <laughs> Deep Purple <laughs> what about I don't know Voles. They can be heat craze. A regular vol? <laughs> a regular vol? No, a heat craze one. Heat craze you know, vol. It's like a kid's like, dude, when we play this, everyone's going to be like, what? Yeah. You know, it's like, we're going to be a band, but we're not going to have a name. I wonder if that heat, is crazed, name. heat crazed vol is like some kind of cockney rhyming slang for something. Ooh. It'd make more sense than actually writing Call in with your best suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to hear these full songs... You can go to his page on SoundCloud. It's David Smith seven two three. Yeah. On SoundCloud.com. So seven two three soundcloud.com. He crazed vol. That's a code word for what you do after you've had a ruby. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving along. I'm trying to think of what rhymes to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so after this talent show they changed to Gypsy's Kiss. Yeah. I'm going by drummer Paul Sears account. Because he was in the band, so I'm going to be like, you know... I'm going to be famous someday. Let's name the band after urination. (laughs) That's true. never thought about it that way. I mean, he's still a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. But, uh, yeah, I'm going... Normally, if I have, like, multiple sources that say different things, and there's someone who is actually there, you know, I'll go with that rather than just some random author that... You know what I mean? Yeah, someone who claims to be right on the internet. (laughs) So Steve Harris is in Gypsy's Kiss. Um, a funny thing about like the name Gypsy's Kiss too. When we went to the Carton Horses, it's like Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden, everything. The birthplace of Iron Maiden. It's also the birthplace of Gypsy's Kiss because they were at the Carton Horses, and it was one night. That's when they came up with the name Gypsy's Kiss. No, was way. that a night drinking at the? They were trying. They were lining up in that bathroom. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that And they were trying bathroom. to get that little tiny bathroom. They're like, I'm just trying to get a gypsy's kiss. And the guy turned around and he said, oh, I thought of our band name. He's what? Spear Rib 2? And he's like, no. But the uh, the carton horses go like the history. It has, if you're looking at how influential it is in Maiden, it goes back even pre Maiden yeah. to like Gypsy's Kiss. So after the talent show, uh, there's a lineup change. Roy Middleton is replaced on guitar by Tim Nash. So in the early days documentary that's on the uh, the Iron Maiden DVD, that's yeah, an awesome one. They call him Tim Watsit. So I have a feeling that Watsit might be a nickname because I've also seen him named Tim Nash. But I don't know. But it couldn't be a different person. No, it's at the exact same time. Okay. So whoever this uh, Tim, I saw Tim Nash 
And I just saw it. I'm Watsit, W-O-T-S-I-T. Is that even a last name or is that a nickname? I don't know. I don't know. It could <laughs> rhyme with something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It could be a Cockney last name. <laughs> so Gypsy's Kiss, the lineup is Steve Harris on bass, Bob Vershoil on vocals, Paul Sears on drums, Dave Smith on guitar, and Tim Nash slash Tim Watsit on guitar. And Yannick. <laughs> in the background, dancing around. <laughs> So Steve Harris says in the History of Iron Maiden DVD, there's a quote, and he says, In our first band, Gypsy's Kiss, we did only five gigs, three at the Carton Horses and two at the Bridge House. Wow. So they only played five. Mm-hmm. I guess he doesn't count the talent show as a as a show. A bridge House is a really cool name. Every like little town in England and wherever, they always have a Bridge House, sometimes two. Oh, yeah? And it's like a house on a bridge. Oh, yeah? Literally, because they put so much foundation in to build a bridge that they generally just build a house on the end of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, a lot of cases. That's cool. And do those eventually turn into the pubs and that's why they're called the Bridge House? In some cases are like hotels or just... I've seen I, a picture I, of the Bridge House actually and now that you say it, yeah. Yeah, I, I knew someone who had a house called Bridge House. Okay. And it literally had a bridge like attached to it that the town ran through and the house was like right on the road. It was like attached to the bridge and they called it Bridge House. That's kind of cool. And I'm like, where do you live? Next to the bridge. The bridge house. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. I am blaze bailey you're listening to talking maiden the podcast of the beast possibly the best podcast in the world so at this point gypsy's kiss they're playing they play their five gigs their set list is super heavy on covers they do Paranoid by Sabbath, All Right Now by Free, Smoke on the Water, Deep Purple, and Southern Man by Neil Young. Um, and of course they do like Heat Craze Bowl, the originals. They do a song called Endless Pit, which is a really early version of Innocent Exile. It's like a slower version of Innocent Exile. Um, so that goes back to like pre-talent show, actually. I think they wrote that one. Um, so that's probably the second Maiden song ever written. Wow. Was Innocent Exile, which was known as Endless Pit back then. Wow. And then in the early years DVD, if you watch that documentary, if you pause it and go like frame by frame, yeah. they show a picture of an audio tape that says Gypsy's Kiss on it and lists two more Gypsy's Kiss songs, Drifting and I Don't Need No Doctor. Mm. So I read that Drifting became Drifter. Yeah. Um, I had that one. I, <laughs> but I read that in two different places on the internet, but I didn't actually find a like a concrete source. Yeah. But I read it in two different places, so it makes sense that Drifting would become Drifter. Um, and I Don't Need No Doctor is like a cover of an old R&B song. And it was covered by like a ton of artists in the 70s. Um, the band Humble Pie covered it in 1971, and it was like a big hit single. So I assume that's where like Gypsy's Kiss probably got the idea to cover it. Um, I'm going to play a clip of the Humble Pie version. So this is just a song that Gypsy's Kiss covered in their set. I 
so that's not Gypsy's Kiss, that's Humble Pie, but that's a song that Gypsy's Kiss covered. So that's the kind of stuff they're covering, like stuff like that, you know, Deep Purple, Sabbath, the heavy, hard 70s rock. And they have a few originals thrown in there. So anyway, Steve Harris on the History of Iron Maiden DVD, he says, we split up through musical differences. I went for an audition with a band called Smiler. So February 1975, Steve Harris joined Smiler. So in Smiler, there's Mick and Tony Klee, who are twins, Doug Sampson, Dennis Wilcock, and Steve Harris. Oh. Yeah. So these guys were all like in their mid-20s, and Steve was like 18 at this point. And he said he kind of wanted to get into a band with some more experienced guys. So he auditions for Smiler, and he gets in. And this is where Steve Harris brings out Innocent Exile and Burning Ambition. Um, some people say that he, re- he wrote Burning Ambition in Smiler, but he brought it to the band, but he had it written before. Um, Endless Pit, Innocent Exile, and Gypsy's Kiss, he brings that into like Smiler. Um, the guys in Smiler don't like this kind of direction at all. They're like, it's all prog rock with weird time changes and stuff. On Listen with Nico Part 1, Nico, he kind of says how, like, Smiler, they thought Steve Harris's songs were too complicated. They turn around and say, Harry, you know, all these chord changes and time changes as he's, as he's famous for. Now, I should know. Come on, give us a break. So he, he took the, the song to the band and they've gone, Oi, Harry, I can't play that. And he said, Oi, I've had enough of this and I'm going to go and find some, some people that can. So, so anyway, that's what he did. <laughs> I just wanted to get a clip of Nico talking in here because he's hilarious. Oh, he's classic. Yeah. The way he sums everything up. Right? <laughs> but if you listen to the whole thing, he actually kind of mixes up Gypsy's Kiss and Smiler. He kind of talks about Smiler and Gypsy's Kiss as if they're the same thing Yeah. in this. But he, it was in Smiler that he brought these songs out and they were like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, but Dave Murray's not there. Nope, not yet. So I have a, another quote from Steve Harris and he says, they liked some of my stuff, but it was a lot of time changes. I was trying to get my progressive influences in there, and they were more into straight R&B stuff. It started to cause a bit of a problem. I thought the only way I'd be able to carry on writing, I thought I'd have to leave and form my own band. Wow. So the main thing to note about him being in Smiler is that he's in a band with Dennis Wilcock, Dennis Wilcock. who would later go on to sing for Maiden. Yep. And the drummer was Doug Sampson, who would later go on to drum and record with Iron Maiden. That's right. So three of the members of Smiler... Yeah. Eventually reunite in Maiden. Yeah, that's right. So Steve kind of leaves and then recruits these guys into his band. Yeah, that's right. Later on. So when he leaves, they come back because Wilcock is like right up until Paul. And then that's kind of like the modern. As, there's as more uh, details. Yeah. Oh, there's oh, loads more coming. It. But wait, now you said Dave was with them at the at the talent show. Dave Murray, wasn't nope. he? Oh, okay. Yeah. I got confused. No. No, no. It was Dave Smith. Before. Dave Smith. Sorry, right. I got a little yeah. confused. Lots of names. Yeah, there's there's a lot of duplicate names yeah. in here, But too. working on the band names is better because there's so many people. Yeah. It's making more sense. So he decides to start his own band, and he throws around the name Ash Mountain. Ash Mountain. Which I think is kind of him being obsessed with Wishbone Ash. Nice. But he instead decides to go with Iron Maiden. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Who Can you knows? imagine like all this merch with like <laughs> Ash Mountain written on it instead of Iron Maiden? I know. Iron Maiden's... Yeah, it might not have been as successful. I think it's just we're so used to hearing Iron Maiden now that, like, yeah. if they had been called Ash Mountain and someone suggested <laughs> Iron Maiden, we'd be like, Iron Maiden, what a stupid name. No. You right, know what I mean? Right said Fred. <laughs> Wrong said Fred. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm leaving the band. So as far as the name, I had a quote from Steve Harris, October 10th, 1979 <laughs> issue of Sounds Magazine. 
He says, did you ever see the film The Man in the Iron Mask? I saw it on television, and that's where the name first occurred to me. Although, strictly speaking, I believe an actual Iron Maiden is altogether a more vicious torture device. Yeah, it is. So the man in the Iron Mask, he kind yeah. of, uh, I guess the Iron Mask kind of made him, got him thinking about like Iron Maiden, yeah. and that popped into his head. Isn't an Iron Maiden like a, a trap device with like pointed stuff in it? Yeah, it's like a, yeah. a hinge, like coffin almost with spikes that point in That's right. But then I also read that Iron Maidens were never actually used. It was just kind of something that people yeah. came up with. Anyway, it's part of like torture is, lore. Yeah. So he saw this man in the Iron Mask movie and that kind of gave him the idea for i guess the iron mask iron maiden i also read that an interview with him where he says that he doesn't know where the name came from and he thought maybe his grandmother came up with it oh my god <laughs> or he said that he threw out a bunch of names and his grandmother thought that one was the good one or something i don't know oh no i'm not 100 percent sure if this is like where the name came from or if this is just like something he said in an interview but anyway, he starts his own band, Iron Maiden. He doesn't go with Ash Mountain. Iron Maiden. The very end of 1975, Iron Maiden forms. Uh, they say uh, the official story is December 25th, Christmas Day of 1975. So almost into 1976. And the first Maiden lineup is Terry Rance and Dave Sullivan on guitar. Paul Mario Day is the singer. Ron Rebel Matthews is the drummer. And Steve Harris is on bass. So I read an interview with Terry Rance. He said that they formed, definitely formed before Christmas Day, 1975. And Terry Rance says he joined and brought Dave Sullivan into the band like months before that. Uh, He said he answered an ad in Melody Maker in October. So that would be way before that. Um, And he kind of hints that maybe Rod Smallwood chose the Christmas date because it's easy to remember. It makes for a good story. You know what I mean? I think Rod Smallwood and Maiden are kind of like... This is the story we're going with. I read to Palmiro Day said he was playing with Maiden in late 75. And I doubt he means like the six days between Christmas and New Year's. So I think, I don't know. Oh, he also, okay. I also read about someone named Vic Scott who drummed for them before Christmas 1975 date. And on a TV show Vic Scott was on, he claimed to be the first drummer of Iron Maiden. Okay. So I don't know what this timeline of formed on December 1975 but from a from a discography perspective yeah uh they're, they have the name harris is consistent harris has two songs already in his mind but this band probably hasn't i i'm just trying to wonder what amount of maiden is existing at this point well you definitely have yeah. those songs we talked about yeah and i think he's kind of working on songs at this point yeah. um i think basically what happened is they loosely got the band together yeah Maybe not a 100% fixed lineup. And they kind of jammed the last half of 75. And maybe they came up with a name and like solidified yeah. Christmas 1975. Like they were together jamming and writing. But they yeah. officially became... A, that lineup kind of officially gelled Christmas, I think. That's cool. Like I think there's probably a lot of like writing and getting people in. You know what I mean? Totally. Jamming. So I have a story too about how Paul Mario Day gets to be in the band that would become Maiden. So I read an interview with Palmer O'Day, and he says he was working as a motorcycle mechanic in East London, and he saw Steve Harris and a bunch of guys walk past, and he, you know, he was never really a singer in a band, but he thought he could sing pretty good. And he says to them, and he asked Steve, he's like, I'm a singer, can I join your band? And Steve's like, no. And he's like, okay, no problem. And he goes back to, like, fixing a motorcycle or whatever. And a few days later... 
he sees Steve again, and Steve's like, we couldn't say anything to you because we were with our singer of our band. You can totally be in our band. No way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember that. So yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and I got a quote from him, too, and he says, uh, <laughs> they liked me straight away, and I was seeing some of Steve's songs. So, yeah. And Terry Rance, he replies to an ad in Melody Maker that Steve plays looking for a guitarist, and he joins. Yeah. That's how he got in. And Terry Rance immediately recommends Dave Sullivan because they were like old buddies. They had briefly played in a band together called the Tinted Aspects. So they get Terry Rance. He brings Dave Sullivan in, and that's Maiden. Call Mario Day. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. They can all say they were an Iron Maiden like back in the early days. Oh, yeah. Totally. I can can just picture these guys giving, like, music lessons to people, too, like Carl Weathers (laughs) did on that Arrested Development. You're like, dude, you got to really pesh. When I was back in Iron Maiden, (laughs) I really leaned into it. That'll be another 500 pounds, please. Well, these guys still, uh, a lot of them are playing around. They play, like, the carton horses and stuff. A lot of these guys. Yeah. Um, so then you're into 1976, right? Yeah. So that was Christmas 75. So like a week later into 76. 1976, Dave Light lets them jam at his place, which is somehow connected to St. Nicholas Church, which is an Anglican church in the district of Poplar, London. And I read interviews where he mentions nuns were living in the building. Or someone mentioned about nuns living in the building. I heard it referred to as a, I don't know the word, vicarage or vicarage or something. It means like a residence of a clergy. Okay. And I also heard this. This is an interview from Paul Mario Day, where he's kind of talking about this place. But the first gig we played, it wasn't actually here. It was where we rehearsed. Well, it was near Canning Town. It was in the vicinity, because I can't remember too. Okay. It was in the vicinity of the bridge house. The vicinity of the bridge house. Yeah, it was a squat that Dave Lights mm. lived in. Uh, I believe it was a Dave a, a convent. I believe it was a convent. Dave who? who, who? Uh, Dave Lights. Dave Beasley. He was he was with the the lighting man. Oh, I see. He was a friend in a, and basically he was growing with the band as well. Okay. Doing the lights. So he kind of refers to it as a convent. And that Dave Lights was squatting there. So Canning Town and Poplar, because it's kind of confusing. They say like Canning Town, England, Poplar, England. They're just districts of London. Cause it, and they're right next to each other. And he says the first Maiden gig was there. So that was actually from, I want to say, that was an interview done by the Power of Metal webzine. It's powerofmetal.dk. And uh, they did like a really long interview with him, which is pretty cool. So you can check that out. Powerofmetal.dk. Oh, totally. Well, it's a cool interview with Palmyra Day with like a lot of talking about you know that really early phase of Maiden. So yeah, it'd be more cool. interesting to know about the gigs and stuff. Did he yeah, talk about what the party scene was like. Well, that's what we're getting into now is the yeah. gigs. So Iron yeah. Maiden's formed. Um, if you freeze frame when you're going through the early years DVD, they're flipping through Steve Harris's shows his diary that he has, yeah. and if you pause it, you can see the Maidens. You can see Iron Maiden's first three shows. So Maiden's first show ever was not at the Carton Horses, like you read everywhere. He he actually has a diary. He does going that back. he flicks through. Yeah, you slow mo. Steve Harris extract information from said page. Yeah, they show the shots of the page or whatever. Yeah, you know, I'm starting to get worried about you. <laughs> but, but keep going. I mean, this is going really, deep really, on this. I'm going, you're deep going on this. big time deep. So the first show was 1976. It was May 1st, St Nicholas Hall, Poplar, London, which is. Somewhere where we mentioned like 20 minutes ago, we were talking about that place. The same venue as the Gypsies Kiss talent show. 
So yeah. this is where Dave Lights lived. And I read a Dave Sullivan interview where he says mm-hmm. they were jamming there. And that corresponds to a interview I read with Dave Lights where he says he was living at like a church-related building. So Dave Lights arranges this Gypsy's Kiss talent show. And then later when Maiden forms, he gives Maiden a place to jam. And then arranges Iron Maiden's first gig there. So this is Dave Lights again, right? He's putting on talent yeah. shows at this thing. And then when Maiden forms, he kind of lets them jam at this place. Uh-huh, cool. Yeah, and then he gives them a gig there. Nice. Which is kind of like a warm-up gig before it's starting to hit the pubs, right? Yeah. So really, this church is sort of a forgotten, important location in Maiden history. Wow. Because it was like their... Dave Lights lived there, or their jam space. Anyway, it's just talking about. Yeah. Cool. So I looked it up because this is... Okay, so I'm going even deeper now. Oh, no. So it's St. Nicholas Church on Eberfeldy Street in Poplar, London. Wow. And then I read, this is from an article about the church that I read. It's on some website. St. Nicholas Church has a very unusual history. Situated on the Aberfeldy Estate in the parish of Poplar, it was built in 1955 and designed by architects Seeley and Paget. In 1969, the church was closed and turned into a vinyl record warehouse. In 1998, the church finally reopened as a place of worship. So I think this church kind of fell out of use in 1969. Yeah. And in the early 70s, Dave Lights kind of lived in part of this, like, unused church. That's why Paul Day kind of referred to it as a convent. And it was also, like, Maiden's jam space. And so this is also where they played their first gig. So it's a Gypsy's Kiss first gig. It's these guys' first gig. And it was an outdoor concert. And it was mostly for friends and family. And it was kind of like a warm-up before playing the pub gigs. Cool. Yeah, so... Wow. <laughs> Good old Dave Lights. Good old Dave Lights. So a little over a month later, June 9th, 1976, it's a Wednesday. They play the... <laughs> it was rainy. No, but I mean, they didn't get like yeah. a weekend slot as their first gig. They're oh, playing horses. on a Wednesday night, the Carton Horses. So they play the Carton Horses for the first time as Iron Maiden, 1976, yeah. June 9th. And then June 15th, 1976, they play the Bridge House in Canning Town. Um, and I confirmed that on the Bridge House Diaries website. Really? Which is, Bridge House Diaries is a website that talks all about, like, the 70s and what bands played there. That's nice. kind of cool. It's like, and did uh, they list Iron Maiden? Yeah. Wow. But that was their second gig of all time. Yeah. They should have, like, a plaque. Yeah, you'd think. You'd think. <laughs> There'll be plaques everywhere, all over yeah, London. that's true. Um, <laughs> 18th <laughs> gig. Yeah. The first 100 Iron Maiden yeah. gigs should have. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of confusing. It's like, this. okay, so this is Canning Town. But again, that's just a part of London. So like Stratford, Canning Town, Poplar, Leighton, Hackney. Yeah. You'll say, sometimes you say all these and people think these are maybe small towns or something. If you don't know. But they're just parts of London. So Canning Town is part of London. Same with Stratford. They're dist- it's like in the East End. Where the are they boroughs? Are. They're not boroughs. Are they? I think they're called districts. Districts, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there's all kinds of different ways to measure them, right? There's yeah. The, yeah, and then some yeah, of them... Yeah, and then some of them, yeah. a couple of them put together make up... Yeah, certain and some of them like, like really like are the larger areas like you know like Tottenham that maps onto a football team, but like then there's multiple overlapping areas depending on the size of the, okay, the team, and then there's voting districts. And there's, okay. there's the boroughs of London, but these aren't. I, I, Basically, yeah. though, the thing to remember is whenever mm. I say like any of these places, they're all just parts of London. Yeah, yeah, you can Google them. Yeah, but people might think like, oh, they're playing all these towns because that wouldn't happen. No, if you're talking about no. our city, although, <laughs> although. Getting around London is, it takes time. And yeah. they were towns that just grew together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So that's the first three gigs. I'm not going to list all the tour dates, but after a few shows starting July 1976, they basically play at least once a week at the Curtain Horses for the rest of 1976, with like the odd show at another venue. There's like the Merry Fiddlers, the Stars and Stripes Pub. Um, there's a few other gigs, but basically they're regulars at the Curtain Horses right away. Okay, so yeah. the Curtain Horses, it's not just like, oh, we played a lot there. Like, they were like a local band every week yeah. for like a year, and they're like, that's why it is the birthplace. Because everyone's like, Army, and then... Yeah. They played their first gig Three there, years and then later, they basically their album just, comes out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, wow. So after the first gig in Steve Harris's diary, he writes, good for first gig, received five pounds expenses. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> they make a lot more than that now, playing gigs. But. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, I wonder, they probably got a few free beer. That's true. Maybe a kiss. A little, <laughs> little hug. Yeah. Back then, England was a little, uh, you know. So if you listen to interviews with Terry Rance and Dave Sullivan... They both mention, at this point, right when Maiden's getting on the go, that Steve Harris has a super strong vision of what he wants the band to be, and he's super ambitious. He knows like where he wants Iron Maiden to go, basically. Mm. You know, I guess that's where like the idea for burning ambition came from. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wait now, spoiler alert. They became famous, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, phew. I was just they wondering. Make it, they make it. They make it. <laughs> oh, God. Thank God. I wonder if there's someone who's like, anyone five look- pounds... I wasn't playing that night, and I never got my share. That's 20%. I'm getting a lawyer. Yeah. Go after Maiden for I wonder total if learnings. anyone just stumbled upon this uh, podcast, and they're like, I wonder if this band's going to make it. Are they going to make it? Is this band going to make it? And they're all, they're all the Google never Gypsies heard of Iron Cl- Maiden They're like, oh, darn, it's Gypsy Clip. Man, that Horny Vole song sounds really good. So they interview Ron Matthews in the Iron Maiden Early Days hmm. documentary. Uh, he says, the first gig, there were eight people. The second gig, there was 28. On the third gig, there was 48. And it went on from there. The place was packed. There were people queuing down the road. So they get pretty popular pretty fast. And before very long, they're like packing the curtain horses. At this phase, this is where Dave Sullivan, he claims he wrote the initial riff for Iron Maiden, the song Iron Maiden at this point. No way. So that's where the song comes in. So Paul Mario Day is the singer and he's wearing like a cape on stage. A little bit of, like, theatrics, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the first hint of, like, anything theatrical. This phase is also where Palmero Day claims he wrote Strange World. So I found an old interview with him, and he says, In 1976, photos recording were next impossible to have if you were poor boys from East London, so I can't prove I wrote the words and melody for Strange World. Back then, we were all pulling for the same side, and it still hurts to think the first song I ever composed was on a big-selling album, and nobody knows it was me. Oh, wow. He didn't get a writing credit, obviously, but... But I also read a recent interview with him where he just says everything's good with him and Maiden. The interviewer kind of presses him a bit on it and asks him about it, and he says everything's fine as far as that's concerned. So he seems very cool with everything now. Mm. Um, I don't know if he was, like, compensated or whatever, but, like, if you watch any interviews with him now, he seems like a total, like class act as far as like the maiden stuff goes yeah i mean there'd be, it'd be nothing for them to say hey look here's a hundred grand Pat yeah and maybe they did i don't right? know that would be classy yeah. especially yeah. if he did have a tangible contribution the thing you always forget about all this is when you have a bunch of teenagers in bands yeah and then like i know years later like he, i don't know it's weird to go back and be like when we we're 16 i helped them write this riff i know you know what i mean no, it is hard to look back that long and say who wrote what song and yeah. who said what. And yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting, but if you were all together writing source code and Google came out of it, even if the source code was chalked, they'd have a claim on some shares. I don't know. 
I don't know what Google source code is. Yeah. <laughs> no. So this lineup, remember in the Curtain Horses, they have that big picture on the wall of like that lineup. Yes. With the people. So if you go to the Curtain Horses website, there's a picture, a big picture of like a bunch of guys with like mutton chop sideburns and like curly yeah. 70s hair. This is that lineup. It's Dave Sullivan, Paul Day, Ron Rebel Matthews, Terry Rance, and Steve Harris. Yeah. Um, there's also an old guy in the background of the picture. Everyone's always wondering who this old guy is. Yeah. So I read an interview with Steve Harris, and he says that that guy is the guy. They just finished a gig, and a, there, a, someone calls the bar, and it's another band, and they say that they're called Iron Maiden, and they call the Carton Horses, and Steve Harris right after the band, right after the show, after he gets this phone call. I think he just, like, doesn't take the call and just hangs up. But he runs out and he re- registers the name and gets rights to the name Iron Maiden. Mm. This actually happened later on after this picture was taken. So this guy in the picture is the guy that came over and tapped Steve and said, like, somebody called the bar who says that they're in a band called Iron Maiden. That's who this old guy is in the picture. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Gave him a heads up. Yeah. So, and Steve, yeah, so Steve goes out. Like, he's very, like, diligent and hardworking. He's not mm. just like, eh, whatever. He goes out and he's like, I'm going to get the name Iron Maiden registered so that yeah, they can't. Yeah. yeah, they can't. Well, he came up on his on his own. I mean, yeah, I know, but still, you, they want to be called like Iron Maiden UK or Iron Maiden X or something. Like, remember Bush? That band Bush. Yeah, and they had to become I, Bush X. In, I think that was in, only in Canada. I'm not sure. They were I'm called sure. Bush X over here. Really? In case they, anyone in England remembers that band, Gavin Rossdale. Yeah, name, that that's band right. Bush, or better known in as, Canada, they were called Bush X. Yeah, the one-hit wonder who then went on I to they had multiple hits. No, that, well, multiple hits, but they had one really one good album. album. Yeah, I know. I had the album, and I had like this special edition CD that I paid a fortune for. Oh yeah, the second CD in it. Bush is one of those Wasn't bands. They, what they, didn't they sing? Uh, What's it? Glycerine. But now anyway. he's famous for uh, cheating on Gwen Stefani with the nanny. Oh, did he? She yeah. had Gwen Stefani. Oh, I knew yeah. they were married. She had like they, she was on tour all the time, and he had like this hot nanny. Okay, like, what are you doing? Like, you, you dumb. Anyway, that's I have a feeling Bush is one of those bands that's like huge in Europe, and over here we're like, oh, they had a couple of songs. Like Oasis mm. over here wasn't like over people talk about Oasis over in Europe, like they were huge. Yeah, but in Canada, I was like, oh yeah, I remember they had a couple of songs in the top ten, but they were never huge over here. Oasis, not over here. What? Not huge like they are in England. Well, I mean, they had the 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 famous album, yeah. you know, with uh, "Don't Look Back in Anger" and yeah, "Wonderwall" and all me. those. Yeah. yeah, that one or whatever. They, that yeah, was but, like, yeah, but they're not ending. But they weren't huge the way they were. Like they had five songs in the top ten over here. Probably. Oh, those guys are idiots too. They're both from uh, Manchester. Actually. Yeah, arguing yeah, brothers. Yeah, yeah they're cities, cities. But they're like huge over, yeah. like ten times as big over in Europe as they're in Canada. I, and I, I have a feeling yeah. Bush is maybe one of those bands where people are like, Bush, they were huge. Yeah. And over here, we're like, yeah, I remember they had like two music videos for a while and they kind of went away yeah, maybe they were bigger over there but i mean they have one album here that was just massive oh yeah 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 what's the story morning glory that that's song? that's the one okay. that's the album yeah. that's the album yeah it was just yeah. an awesome song yeah I'm anyway sure that's tangent that. we're getting off on tangents again oh no tangents no tangents <laughs> basically there was another iron maiden band formed in 1964 and the band formed in 1964 in 1970 they changed their name to iron maiden and they recorded an album but it was never released in 1998, they finally released this uh, album called Maiden Voyage, I think it's called. And that's the other Iron Maiden. I have a clip of the other Iron Maiden. Oh, 
so anyway, they didn't copyright the name. Steve Harris did. So Steve Harris gets the name Iron Maiden. These other guys, they're a blip in history. Um, so at this point in the lineup, they have Rothschild. Rothschild. Oh, Rothschild. Well, actually, it's funny because you see it written down on set lists and stuff. And they yeah. spelled it R-O-T-H, Rothschild. W-R-O-T-H. E. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Rothschild. Okay. Which is weird. But it's Rothschild. Yeah. The song oh, okay. we know is Rothschild. Another Life. Yeah. Innocent Exile. A song called Floating, which became Purgatory. Yeah. Drifter. Yeah. Strange World. Yeah. The song Iron Maiden. And Burning Ambition. So they wow. have these songs already. This is mid-1976. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Another little trivia. John, Someone named John Northfield performs a couple of gigs with Iron Maiden. Filling in for Dave Sullivan. So he was the brother of Dave Light's roommate. And he lived in that church with Dave Light's. Oh my god. <laughs> so he wasn't technically in the band, but him and Tony Newton, I will both say they like Tony Newton filled in for Yannick on some TV appearances. They both played in Maiden, not technically members, but they played with Maiden. They play have gigged with Maiden. Yeah. So there that's some obscure trivia. John Northfield is about as obscure as you can get if you want to have like Iron Maiden band yeah. member trivia. You play with him. <laughs> yeah. And you said he was So he was Paul Dave Day's, Lights or sorry, Dave yeah. Lights. He was okay. the brother of Dave, Dave Lights. Dave roommate. Light he's the brother of Dave Lights' roommate. Oh okay. That's John so Northfield. Yeah. His roommate's brother. Not his brother's roommate. Yeah. 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 Or, or whatever. Anyway. Yeah. So we gotta we gotta sort out these we gotta see the tenancy act here. We gotta they probably had the lease somewhere that we can go Google it just to make sure. So this is mid mid seventy six. Steve Harris isn't really happy with Paul Day as a frontman. No, says he wasn't charismatic enough. Yeah. So Paul Day, he played twenty six shows with Iron Maiden, and he gets the boot. He's out of the band. <laughs> so I get a quote from Paul Mario Day. Um, Steve Harris was kind of giving him, you know, mm. laying out the "you're out of the band" speech. Mm. Paul Mario Day, he says. Uh, Steve told him, you've got to get better. You've got to be more in the audience's face. You've got to be commanding. You've got to be a hero. And I agreed with him, but I didn't actually know how to make that happen. I got a warning for maybe three months. Get it together. Get it together. And I wanted to. I just didn't know how to do it. What Steve was doing was trying to make the band big. He knew what he wanted. What he wanted is what he got. He got one of the biggest bands on the planet. As much as it hurt, as much as it upset me, I learned a big lesson that day. I really did. Wow. So he's out of Maiden. He goes on to sing in a band called More. There aren't any clips of Palmyro Day singing with Iron Maiden or any confirmed clips. There's a couple on the internet that I'll get into those later. Um, this is a clip of Palmyro Day, Paul Day's band after he left Iron Maiden. And this is just so you can kind of get a sense of what his voice was like. So that was Paul Mario Day singing with more. Um, He goes on to sing for Wildfire and a bunch of other bands. Uh, And Paul Day was replaced by Dennis Wilcock. And you'll remember him from being back in Smiler with Steve in 1976. Yeah. So this is probably a good time to take a break. Yeah. So to recap, Harris goes through puberty. (laughs) Right. Then he thinks about spare ribs. Doesn't happen. Um, Influence. Right. Was the first name, which became Gypsy's Kiss. Right, that's the same band. Yeah. yeah. 
Then they went on to Smiler. Right. Well, he went to Smiler. Yeah. He went to Smiler with a bunch of older dudes. Yep. And then uh, after that, he more or less... He created, leaves, yeah, starts his own band. Starts his own band, which became Iron Maiden pretty quickly. Yeah, he named right? it Iron Maiden, and then... Yeah. Yep. It wasn't Ash Mountain, it was Iron Maiden. Right. And then the Iron Maiden lineup starts to change a bit, but by 76, they're, they reco- they're playing all the time with the Curtain Horses. Yep. They've got a following. Yeah. Um, they're basically the, the famous picture at the back of the stage at the Curtain Horses. Yep. Is their band set up at that stage? Yeah, and they've got a pretty interesting set list. Yeah, uh, a lot of songs that we saw uh, are Maiden and a few they carried over to Killers. Yeah, so they're yeah. yeah, so they're on their way. Um, Paul Day's out. Yeah, Dennis Wilcock is about to come in. I'll get into that yeah. right away on the next episode. So, but yeah, what surprised me is there's still no Murray yet. Like nope, I thought, no I thought yet. they went right back. Nope. Well, bring it up when we get into the band next time. But there are a few people. That I argue at that stage, it kind of becomes Maiden. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely Maiden. They're written the Maiden songs. Yeah. Steve Harris, the heart and soul of Maiden, right? Yeah. But Paul Day's out. Dennis Wilcock about to come in. We'll get into that next episode. Wow. That was a pretty good beer. An excellent beer. Um, Not bad. Yeah. Go to uh, talkingspearribs.com slash beers. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, all of the... That's a good way to do a uh, recipe segment, spear ribs. We should do, before we go to the uh, Toronto mm. Legacy of the Beast shows, yeah. we should do spare rib. You, you have a shirt that says spare, way, spare rib, and I'll get one that says Ash Mountain. Ash Mountain. And we'll That's be like, we're walking around and be like, nobody yeah. gets it. But the one guy that gets it, it'll be worth it. The, yeah. We'll be like, Ash Mountain, spare Ash, rib. <laughs> spare rib, I got it, yeah. That, that would actually be uh, that, not really that funny at all. <laughs> oh my God. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Yeah, should we clue it up there? Yep. So, um, to the listeners out there, if you have any feedback on these super early years, so this is early years part one, Yep. Uh, talkingmade.com slash talk or email us, because we will do a recap after, so we'll, we'll have some time yeah. to, if there's any clarifications or stuff. Yep. Um, when we get through this early history of our early Iron Maiden, yeah. we'll, uh, before, and we'll do like an episode where we kind of recap. That's right. And then we're going to get into the first album. So. Should we... Um, do up a scroll <laughs> of this and then just like you know have a scroll i actually have a maiden family tree printed on a canvas on my wall you do <laughs> yeah. on your wall on my wall at home yeah yeah meanwhile and it goes back to all these <laughs> meanwhile you're creating you know space on your wall by throwing up pictures of your kids like two years ago <laughs> yeah. that was their first day at school we can look at them by just bending our head that way i have this on my computer somewhere yeah. <laughs> i need I need more wall space for our name. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing tonight? And as we just downloading websites in case they go off the internet. <laughs> I got no time. Oh, it's funny because it's true. I got no time for couples night, honey. God, give me some space. After <laughs> <Never mind. laughs> what? What? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, that would be right. bad. All right, talkingmade.com. Get us there. Uh, until next time, up the irons, down the hops.